Welcome to the Oklahoma Adventist Podcast. Every year in January, the Oklahoma Conference brings its pastors together at Wawoka Woods for a few days of rest and professional development. This year, our first speaker was Dr. Richard Davidson from Andrews Theological Seminary, and he presented a series of lectures entitled The Third Angel's Message in Verity. This series of presentations looked at the topic of justification by faith through the Old Testament to gain a greater understanding of how the third angel's message is righteousness by faith in verity, as we're told in the spirit of prophecy. We were incredibly blessed by this series of presentations, and we hope that you will be as well. So you'll figure some of it is just my age. I am a little older than I was when I taught you yes. back in 19, whatever it was, just a few years after Noah's flood, right? Wasn't it pretty funny? Okay. Anyway, but there's another reason that this coming here makes me excited. And that is, it was at a camp meeting spot like this in Arizona where I first learned the truth about the third angel's message in verity. I had gone through Adventist high school, Adventist elementary, Adventist academy, Adventist college, and I had graduated from the theological seminary. But somehow the gospel never got through my thick skull. Mm. And I'll give you some reasons later on. And so here I found myself three years into the pastorate in Flagstaff, Arizona, preaching lots of sermons about Christ, but not knowing how to give a person peace and assurance in Christ. And so here we come to a camp meeting. We came a week early to pitch tents, and I hear you used right. to do that yeah. here, right? You'd bring up all the tents, and you'd pack in the beds and put into the tents and so forth. So we did that all week. And then there was one young pastor, friend of mine, that realized, somehow, he realized I didn't understand the gospel, that I was not getting it. And so we had a Bible study behind one of the tents. I thought that kind of odd. He said, Dick, let's just have a Bible study together. And he opened some text to me. Mm. I won't tell you the whole story now. That'll come later. But as a result of that Bible study at a camp meeting, I reached out and accepted Jesus as my savior and, as, and received assurance of peace in him for the first time. Hallelujah. And I've never looked back. So when I come on a camp meeting ground where the gospel is emphasized, and I think so then the most exciting reason I'm here is when I got the call from Pastor James. Can I just call you James? On one condition, you call me Dick and no more Doc. I hate titles, okay? No more titles. Okay, so James gets me on the phone and says, would you come and talk about the third angel's message in verity. He used different terms, and we'll get to that in a minute, but... And my heart leaped! For as much as I loved the sanctuary, you guys that were in my sanctuary class, you know how often I was shifting into these gears. 
And so I get to share a seminar on the most important topic in the whole Bible. And we get to be part of this journey. We get to share together. I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher. So this is going to be a dialogue. I'm going to give some lecture. We're going to do some PowerPoint stuff. But then we're going to talk about this. I don't want anyone to leave like I left the seminary having taken a course in the gospel, several courses in the gospel and not getting it. And so I'm not going to take any chances. I preach and I teach every one of my classes at the seminary as an opportunity to share the gospel. Because I find so often my students are like I was the first three years of my pastorate. Thought we understood, but I didn't get it. So are you ready for a journey with me? I'm not here as I know more than you and I'm trying to bring it down to you. I'm here as a learner. I'm here to share my testimony of how God has brought me into a relationship with him and a joyous experience of understanding the gospel more deeply than I ever thought I would understand it. So I don't have a chord to worry about. So I will just now to be able to, if I can remember where this is, we'll be all right. So with that introduction, let's go for it. Ellen White writes, 1SM372. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I've answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. In verity, you notice this was 1890. This was right after the 1888 conference where there was a whole group of ministers that didn't think that this was really the gospel. They thought it was a false gospel. And Ellen White had to make clear to them, it's not only true, it's the third angel's message in verity. It's what we need to be preaching. Let's unpack it a little bit. In 1890, the same year, she writes, the light given me of God places this important subject, justification by faith, above any question in my mind. There has been too little educating in clear lines upon this point. And then she goes on to say, some of our brethren have expressed fears that we shall dwell too much upon the subject of justification by faith. But I hope and pray that none will be needlessly alarmed, for there's no danger in presenting this doctrine as it is set forth in the scriptures. And then she goes on to say, the danger has been presented to me again and again of entertaining as a people false ideas of justification by faith. I have been shown for years that Satan would work in a special manner to confuse the mind on this point. Did you catch that? I have been shown for years. That goes way back before 1888, where God was showing that Satan wants to confuse us on this foundational point upon which our salvation and upon which our understanding of all the other doctrines hinges. Satan wants to confuse us. And I like this one. The point that has been urged upon my mind for years is what? The imputed righteousness of Christ. This is another way of her justification by faith. The imputed righteousness of Christ. I have wondered that this matter was not made the subject of discourses in our churches throughout the land 
when the matter has been kept so constantly urged upon me, and I have made it the subject of nearly every discourse and talk they've given to our people. Whoa! Every discourse bathed with the gospel. And then we come to this quote, and I almost used this for our title for this week, but then I, at the last minute, I changed. This is Review and Herald 1890 again. One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow every other. Christ, our righteousness. Now, I've heard some of our leaders use this term, Christ, our righteousness. We can need to preach Christ, our righteousness. But I've heard them use it in a way that misconstrues what Ellen White is talking about here. They use it to describe our getting more perfect, our getting more sanctified by the imparted righteousness of Jesus. Now, I, I believe in the imparted righteousness of Jesus, believe me, but that's not what Ellen White was talking about here. We already saw that in the previous one. The point that is urgent on my mind is the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Justification by faith, not sanctification by faith, is what she felt was missing. And I've come to become convinced that if we don't understand justification by faith, we can't have sanctification by faith. There we go. Because it got the wrong motivation and it becomes a work trip. It becomes a legalistic trip. It becomes a perfectionistic nightmare. If you start with justification, you understand that, then that growth takes place exponentially. And we outgrow every legalist in obedience through grace. I'm not getting weak on obedience. I'm saying this is the only way for obedience is understanding the mainspring that brings love in our hearts and obedience comes to Jesus. So I looked it up, Christ our righteousness. Thank you for giving me this assignment. It forced me to do a little more work. So I looked up 96 hits from Ellen White's corpus on this phrase, Christ our righteous. Some are repeats, but a good number of them are the same. And it's almost always used as a synonym for justification by faith. The message about the imputed righteousness of Christ coming out of the 1888 GC meetings. Here's an example. 1SM361, the, right the light shining forth from the Word of God has been clear and distinct. Justification by faith. Christ, our righteousness. She uses them synonymously. And so while there are some maybe that would include this as the natural result of it, I see Ellen White zeroing in on this question of justification by faith, of the imputation of Christ's righteousness for us. And that's what she calls this one interest shall prevail. One theme will swallow up all others. Christ, our righteousness. I hope we go from this session, these meetings, with a new glow of peace because we've experienced this. I've read descriptions of Ellen White going to camp meetings after the 1888 meeting. She came here to the, I think Kansas, if I recall, was one place. And there were these testimonies of pastors who had been pastors their whole career. 
and they were saying, I can't believe it's true. Justification by faith. And they were just changed. Their whole lives were changed. And I'm hoping that none of us believe this time together without a rejuvenation from the gospel, whether the first time or it's new again be beyond. Now, unfortunately, Adventists are not clear on what justification by faith means. I've just listed a few of the possibilities. I think this is most of them, but there are some others. Some would argue the Protestant position Legal justification based upon the forensic imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Someone argue for that. I'm going to argue for that. But I want to recognize that there are others that are out there. There are some who reject the legal model as culturally conditioned. And they are statements in scripture which are representing a primitive understanding of the atonement. And we need to move to a more mature understanding of the atonement. I got a dose of that when I was out in the West Coast. I won't narrow it down where it came. We had, unfortunately, several generations of physicians that were trained on that model. That the justification, the legal aspect, we, it's not to be acceptable anymore. Let's go with the moral influence. Let's go with the healing model. Let's go with other forms that removes the imputation of Christ's righteousness. There are others who say justification involves both to declare us righteous and to make us righteous. I only dared to put this because one of the major publications of the last generation theology, it gives the points of points that are the key points of last generation theology. And one of the first ones was justification is to make righteous as well as to declare righteous. But do you realize what that means? If you put in your own righteousness in there as part of the equation, are you ever fully righteous, ever good enough? And so I, the person who wrote that statement and I met him, he's, he's around Andrews University, he's had a couple of my classes and he's written this little booklet. And so about 25 years ago, I met him for the first time. And so he was still saying the same thing. So I said, can I ask you just a question? Do you have assurance of salvation? And his head went down and he said, I'm just working on one more sin. Oh. And then I will finally get assurance. And so I saw him 25 years later and I asked him, do you have assurance of salvation? And the head went down again. He said, I'm just working on one more sin. I didn't push it any further. I didn't say, is it the same one I asked you about yeah. 25 years ago? What a shame. I'm not saying these people are going to be lost. I'm saying they're missing out on the glory and beauty and you know, joy of the gospel. And if you don't have it, you can't share it. And it becomes a legalistic, do this. And so I believe all of our doctrines have to be couched in the framework of the gospel. And then they take on power. Otherwise, they're, if the person 
Let me put it another way. If the person we're working with, or if we who are giving to Bible study don't understand the gospel, justification by faith, if we don't understand that, we're not going to be able to share that in a way that they will get it with regard to any of the doctrines. And furthermore, they're not going to grasp the Christ-centered, gospel-centered nature of every one of our doctrines. Because every one of our doctrines are not just doctrines to be believed so we can check it off and say, I'm an Adventist. They're windows into Jesus, more about Jesus. And if we're not using, if every doctrine is not a window into Jesus, then what's the point? Yeah, what's the point? That's right. Some argue, some see justification as only forgiveness of past sins. At the end of time, we no longer need the imputed righteousness of Christ. That was, that's what I was raised on. This chart, you have this chart going up like this. And here is the imputed righteousness up here. And here's the imparted righteousness. And the more the chart goes up, the less imputed righteousness I need until finally, I don't need any. And it's all the imparted righteousness. It's my works. Jesus, Jesus did them, but it's my works. And I have to say that I won't name the group, but I, after I, under, I understood how important this topic was, I was going to one, one of the groups listed on here, very famous evangelist from that group. And just as I walked in, the room was full of people. And I'd never heard this preacher preached. I'd heard a lot about him. Just as I walked in, he was saying, this time is coming very soon when we will no longer need any of the imputed righteousness of Jesus. We will be so perfect that we can stand without the covering blood of Jesus anymore. And I've rarely walked out of a meeting and I did it very circumspectly, but I couldn't stay. No, I just couldn't stay. I had to leave. It was just too painful for me to hear that. We'll unpack this more. And then some say justification is universal, worked out objectively on the cross in Christ. And I put a name for this, the 1880 study group. I speak very gently about the 1880 study group because while I was at the seminary when Elder Falkenberg was general conference president, uh, he started a study, a study between the 1888 study group leaders and the General Conference of Biblical Research Institute and others that were invited. And it was called the Primacy of the, Primacy of the Gospel Study Group. And I met with him for five years. I loved the fellowship. It was beautiful. And I championed some of their points, which I thought were excellent. Like, there is a corporate nature to the gospel. And we'll see that before we're done here tonight. There is a corporate solidarity between Adam and the human race and between the human race and the second Adam. And Jesus dies as our representative as well as our substitute. So there is that corporate aspect. And when Jesus died on the cross and went back to heaven to get affirmation from his father that Sunday, Ellen White writes and says, Jesus signed the emancipation papers for the entire human race. We were all set free 
in paper, in theory, in judicial terms, on the cross. So that's, I think that's an important thing that, that they have emphasized. I wouldn't call it justification. I would call it what Paul does, reconciliation. While we were yet sinners, he reconciled the whole world to himself. It was, and then he goes on to say, therefore, be reconciled to God. God's reconciled to you because Jesus has paid the price. Now you be reconciled to God and accept, and accept him. And there's an element of truth, but to say, and I, after that gospel, good news study fellowship, the gospel fellowship group, we studied with them another three or four years because I, we felt, some of us at the seminary, that the discussion was cut off a little premature to, to give them a chance to say what they were saying. And one day it dawned on me that they were calling the objective work, this worked out objectively on the cross of Christ. They were calling what Jesus does when he justifies me, they were calling that the subjective work. Whereas it's not done in me, it's done for me. It's done outside of me, but they were calling it the subjective work. And the only objective work was what Jesus did for the whole human, human race in this universal. And so, I brought it up in the group and there was one very astute theologian there for, that was very honest at heart. And he said, you're right. We need to have, we need to call two justifications. One that happened on the cross, which I call reconciliation, and one that happened when one accepts Jesus' righteousness, accepts him as a savior. Born again. Born again, that's right. Okay. And he was willing to acknowledge, and I, I'm comfortable with that. If 1880 is willing to go on, that's fine. Now, we're not talking about the subject here today about the nature of Christ. It's when we got to the nature of Christ, I couldn't meet with them anymore because our, we parted ways. But that's not our topic. So anyway, so those are some of the views that we have circulating in the church. Um, so you can go to Ellen White. I've done this. I have here a, a document of 25 pages of quotations dealing with Ellen White, Ellen White dealing with justification by faith. It's very easy to do. You just go to the, it used to be the CD-ROM, what do they call it now? The, anyway, the online Ellen White and type in J-U-S-T-I-F right there. And then you'll get justify, justification, justifies, you'll get all those words. And from that, there's 25 pages of beautiful quotations. And I'm going to be using some of those in our seminar here this couple of days. But that's not my focus for this time together. I don't want us to base our doctrine, justification by faith, Christ our righteousness, on Ellen White. I believe everything Ellen White says, but she would want us to build it upon Scripture. And she would want us to build it in such a way we could present it to someone that didn't believe in the inspiration of Ellen White. And hence, I will quote from her references a few times just to affirm what I'm saying from Scripture, but they will not be used as a basis for the presentations we'll be given. Is that fair? And you can go and find, I, if I can put the 25 pages and get, make them available to all of you. So I'm going to make these PowerPoints available to you. Nothing here is... Nothing that I ever write or do or say is copyrighted because it's all human. 
and you take it and turn it into something that works for you, anything you might see, and make it better. So let's just quickly go to the reformers. John Calvin, the doctrine of justification is the main hinge upon which religion turns. For unless you understand, first of all, what your position is before God and what the judgment which he passes upon you, you have no foundation on which your salvation can be laid. Does that sound right? Or upon which piety toward God can be reared. The main hinge upon which religion turns, the doctrine of justification. Martin Luther, if we lose the doctrine of justification, we lose simply everything. The article of justification is the master and prince, the Lord, the ruler, and the judge over all kinds of doctrines. It preserves and governs all church doctrine and raises up our conscience before God. Without this article, the world is utter death and darkness. I think he said it right. Whoever falls from the doctrine of justification is ignorant of God and is an idolater. For once this doctrine is undermined, nothing more remains but sheer error, hypocrisy, wickedness, and idolatry, regardless of how great sanctity that appears on the outside. No error is so insignificant, so clumsy, so outworn as not to be supremely pleasing to human reason and to seduce us if we are without knowledge and the contemplation of this article of justification. Now, I wouldn't place so much stock about seeing what Luther has to say. You need to get with uh, Pastor James here sometime where he gave me the short version of his conversion story. And one of it, one of part of it was he felt, maybe I should go and see what the reformers said. And he started reading what Martin Luther said. And for us who are Adventists, and now I'm going to bring in a quotation from Ellen White, because I think it points us in the right direction here, where she says, it was about that time that Luther, reading the works of Jan Hus, found that the great truth of justification, which he himself was seeking to uphold and teach, had been held by the Bohemian reformer. What does she call it? The great truth of justification by faith, which Martin Luther upheld. And then look at this one. The great doctrine of justification by faith, so clearly taught by Luther. Let's don't turn away from Luther's grasp of it too quickly. Which he so clearly taught had been most wholly lost sight of, and the Romish principle of trusting to good works for salvation had taken its place. Now, that doesn't mean I've had long discussions with my counterparts in the church history department and the historical theology department at the seminary, and they've told me that Len Wright says is right. Unfortunately, Martin Luther connected the doctrine of justification to predestination, and he tried to mix predestination with justification, and that got it messed up a little bit. And he also just had justification by faith, but it was for him, it was faith in Jesus through the sacraments, through the Mass. That's why, remember, he stood for transubstantiation or, or consubstantiation, because the Mass was important to him for him to have faith in Jesus. The best he knew was in the Mass. So the essence of justification by faith, he grasped it, but it needed to be tweaked. It needed to be cleaned up from the 
rubbish of error that had accreted around it. And I think that's what God's raised up for us to do. Amen. To take away predestination, to take away the mass, to take away these things that, that Luther didn't see, and to see this beautiful truth of justification. I, I am, I'm not an expert in Catholic and Lutheran theology and the Reformation. I do say that the, I almost got the gospel in this class that Hans Larundel taught. It was a class called Protestant Reformation Heritage. And we went through all the debates between Luther and the Catholics. We went through all the goals that Luther had and that the other reformers had. We learned all the Latin terms that were bannered about. We learned all the texts that were thrown back and forth between Eck and Luther and the debates, those great debates, and then the Council of Trent and man, he laid it on us, all the theory of justification by faith. It was beautiful. And so the final exam came and I studied harder for that final exam than for any other course I've ever taken before or since. I felt hungry to understand the gospel. In those days, you had to write your tests on blue books. Remember the blue book days? Yeah. And uh, so I said, man, I've learned so much stuff. I better bring two blue books to this test. I've never written, even filled one blue book before. And I filled a blue book and a half a blue book for his final exam. And when I got the results of that exam, for the first and only time in my academic career, I got an A plus on the final exam. Can you imagine that? I had an A plus in righteousness by faith. I had arrived with only one small problem. It was head knowledge. I'd never experienced righteousness by faith. And it took me another three years before I could begin to get it. You can have the head knowledge and it doesn't do you any good if it doesn't become an experience in your heart. And you can also be thinking that you are doing, you are accepting the truth as it comes and you can be blocked by a misunderstanding of one quotation that will block you from understanding the gospel. I've looked back over my life and I realized it was a well-meaning Bible teacher back in the ninth grade that had us memorize from Ellen White the statement in Christ's Object Lessons, page 155, I think it is, that says, you should never be taught to believe or to feel that you are saved. Okay. And he had us learn that. And then he told us what it meant. It means you can never have assurance of salvation. You can hope so, but you can never be sure of it. Mm. Don't ever take anything as truth if a teacher says it until you check it out when they quote from something. If I had only gone there, three lines later, Ellen White says, we may give ourselves to Christ and know that he accepts us. She believed, she didn't believe in 
no assurance of salvation. She was fighting what you guys fight down here in the South, the once saved, always saved view of the Baptists, that you can just say the right words and that doesn't matter what you do. Ellen White understood justification by faith. That's why she felt it was so important. But it was that one statement that blocked any time anyone tried to share with me the gospel and give me a chance to accept it. I would say, I hope so, because I'm not supposed to say or feel that I'm saved, so I can't do it. And finally, back behind that tent in Arizona camp meeting, when for the 10th time he had me read these texts on the gospel, finally took me to 1 John 5, 13. I write this unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He'd already read it once, and then he said, do you have assurance of eternal life? And I said, I hope so. He said, read it again. I read it again. And finally, the Holy Spirit just plunged upon the back of that tent and overshadowed me and ripped the blockage out of my brain. And I dared for the first time in my life to say, yes, I reach out and accept the gift of eternal life because he's promised it and God doesn't lie. And I've never turned back. And those are some of the dangers. Those are some of the problems. And here's a simplification of it. We don't want to get into the bait of this because I want to spend most of the time in the Bible in this whole seminar. But basically, the Catholics said that justification is faith plus works. Justification is to make righteous. And then once you've been made righteous, then to declare you righteous. So you believe, and then there's enough works that come until finally you can have enough works that you can be justified. But you never know for sure. You ask a Catholic, do you have assurance of salvation? If they're a solid, if they're an understandable Catholic, they will not say yes, if they understand this principle. This is the Council of Trent. This is what Luther was fighting. It's the same today. They haven't changed. The Protestants say justification is by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. You are justified solely by faith. But that faith is, at the same time, an active faith, a living faith. And so those who have caricatured Luther as teaching a cheap grace have not understood Luther. And those who have caricatured those who are the Protestant view on this, it's justification by faith alone in the merits of Jesus. Amen. And he imputes his righteousness Truly. And that causes such gratitude to well up in my heart that it becomes an act of faith. And faith alone yields justification plus works. Here's a nice way to say it. Justification is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is ever alone. We talk about justification and sanctification. We shouldn't separate them temporally. One doesn't come first and then the other. 
We distinguish them theologically in order to understand which one is the basis of our salvation. But as soon as we're justified, we're alive in Christ and we're out of gratitude, loving him. Love springs up in the heart and we want to serve him. It's all part of a single moment, but that love that's growing up into our heart is not the basis of our salvation. It's the evidence that we have true faith, but it's always a, it's always an imperfect evidence. So I don't know if you've heard about this, started in back in the 90s, 1994, but it's been going on. Recent Protestant rapprochement with Catholics. And it's Protestants coming to Catholics and saying, oh, we've misunderstood you. There really should have never been a Reformation because we've really been saying the same thing. And so they published in First Things, this is a Catholic journal, but 1994, they said, we are justified by grace through faith because of Christ. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. What can be wrong with that? It's not what's there that's wrong, it's what's missing that's wrong. It doesn't say we're justified by faith alone. No. And it doesn't say we're justified by the imputed righteousness of Christ. The Catholics talk about the infused righteousness of Christ. It makes us righteous, and then we become justified. So the statement really doesn't reproach, have a reproach lawn between Catholics and Protestants at all. It just leaves out the parts that Catholics don't believe and Protestants capitulate and say, oh, that's good enough for us. And they suddenly have lost the gospel, lost the assurance of salvation, lost forensic justification and personal assurance of salvation. So what's going to be our approach tomorrow? Um, most times you hear sermons about justification by faith, they go to Romans. That is the great book about justification by faith, right? Or to Galatians or Corinthians. They focus upon the epistles of Paul. And how can I argue with Paul? His powerful statements about justification by faith, about the gospel there. But my wife likes to put it this way. My wife teaches at the seminary as well. She's a systematic theologian, so she looks back at us who are Old Testament theologians or biblical theologians, he, she has this to say about Paul. She says, Paul, outside of Jesus, was the leading Old Testament theologian. What were the scriptures in? Old Testament. And Paul taught his doctrine of justification by faith from the Old Testament. So my question is, why don't we go back to the place where he taught it from? Yeah, exactly. Why don't we go back and see what the Old Testament scriptures have to say about justification by faith? It's a fresh approach. And that's the approach I'm going to take tomorrow. I'm going to go, we're going to, we're going to, I just wanted to give you this overview. We're going to spend the rest of the day, all day tomorrow in the scriptures. We're going to go and be saturated by the good news of the gospel in the Old Testament. Thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Adventist podcast. Throughout the year, we're going to be sharing with you seminars, sermons, and trainings that happen across our conference. So be sure to click subscribe so you're notified whenever new content is released.